My intention is that we're less formal first hour than second hour. Um, and I always, I've always said I want a note sheet for, for this hour. I want you to be able to have something in, your, something in your hand for a couple of reasons. We do need to learn something. And some of you are visual learners. Some of you are audio, audio learners. And some of you are tactile. And some of you are all three. By the way, who's a visual learner? Who learns by reading and you don't need to hear? So... I'm not a visual learner, so you're going to have to really show me that hand. I mean, I'm not that way. I'm more of an audio learner. If I hear it, I can pretty much remember it. If you mute the movie, I won't remember. If you have it going, I can't forget it. You know, have the sound on, I can't forget it. Who, who thinks they do all three? I do. I definitely need all three. It really helps me. And here's what happens with notes. Um, note-taking is a lost art because we've gotten into devices, and we feel like we can record it, we can look it up later, but that's not really the purpose of notes, in my opinion. Now, this is as a student of learning. I'm a student of learning. Can you believe it? I've had to read books about learning. That's just horrible. It's so horrible. But, but what, what we find is that, has everybody got a, got a sheet? Okay, you, you got your sheet? You got a pen? Well, you need to get a pen. Here, you can use mine. No fair, he gets the pastor's pen. It's okay, I don't need it now. Now, notes are really helpful for looking up later, fine. But they're more helpful for catching it in the moment, in my opinion. Because your brain is engaged with another layer of attention. Who has trouble paying attention for an hour, on a a solid hour on a difficult subject? Everybody in the world, guess what notes help you do? They make, your, may, may, they make you smarter in your ability to concentrate. And so what these types of notes do, we find, is uh, when you have part of the message, but not all of it, it opens a little file cabinet in your brain, opens a little folder, and you don't know what goes in there until I tell you, unless you guess it. If you guess wrong, you put the wrong thing in the file cabinet, and you've got to throw the whole thing away. But... Um, but th- this method of teaching will help you learn it better because you're attacking your brain with more information in more ways. And uh, I'm always interested, listen there very carefully, is my heart to you, I'm always interested in making sure that you can get as much content from God's Word as possible. So I've always been a big note taker, always, because it helped me concentrate, especially when I'm tired when I'm not sharp, like 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm not a smart person at 9 in the morning. I mean, I'm not a smart person, and I'm really not sharp at 9 in the morning. I'm about a, uh, I'm about a six and a half uh, out of 10 for where I live. You know, when, I'm, when I'm functioning at my 10, morning time is not work good for me. And so there are things that I do to mitigate that, like sleep. It really helps. Um, I, I won't eat breakfast. How about that for you uh, nutritionalists? Why don't I eat breakfast? Because my brain spends time digesting food and I can't think. I keep, I, it's like thinking with plywood. So that really helps me. I don't necessarily recommend it for you. But um, if you come back and say, well, that's not good for you, well, I'll say Jesus went without food for 40 days and 40 nights. And I'm not doing that. So um, there are other things I do to, uh, to help me catch up in the morning. Exercise. Uh, other things. Anyway, um, I say here on our notes, what we're trying to do today is understand how to apply some of the promises of God 
to our lives. It's one of the most basic things that you can ever do as a Christian is to learn the promises of God and then memorize them as verses from Scripture so that when you have a crisis and you're emotionally compromised, you can bring it up as a memory verse and say, I'm claiming this promise, and it gives me a little bit of space. It reduces my stress a little bit to be able to kind of handle this, that the Lord is with me, and he is my shepherd, for example, and I shall not want. And so when we, when we memorize the promises of God, and we teach the children to do this, and I encourage you to do this, there are lots of books on the promises of God, uh, this takes a little more than just a cursory reading and memorizing your memory verse cards from navigators or whatever uh, source you have. You need to know what the verses are actually talking about and how they apply. And there are two that I want to look at today that I think will bless you and help you as we approach the new year. And I'm suggesting that some of the most important promises, some of our favorite promises in Scripture, are only for people on mission. They're only for you if you are about your father's business. And that is a radical message that flies in the face of American churchianity. Cultural Christianity, I just, was, I just took a huge swim through cultural Christianity down in Texas. And it's, it's just like cultural Christianity in Connecticut. It's a nod to God. It's a, yeah, God's there. Yes, he's part of my laugh. Yeah, I laugh, hear that. Yes, he's part of my life. Yes, I, I, you know, I serve God. I love the Lord. All the things, all the phrases I'll see you on Sunday. And um, that's not Christianity. That's not a relationship with God. And what we're proposing here is that if you want a real relationship with God, you need to be about your father's business because he has work for you to do. And what kind of relationship would you have with a child that you were, you were responsible to raise? You were training a child. And you told that child exactly what you wanted him or her to do for, for his own good, for her own good. This is what you need to do. And, um, and, and th- that child ignored what you said. When asked by the teachers at school, what's your relationship like with your parents? Oh, good. We love, I love my parents. I love my mommy and daddy. But the life shows that there's not really much of a relationship because the child is completely ignoring everything his or her parents say. I keep using binary sexual terms like his and her because I'm a Christian. (laughs) Now, we don't want to be Christians who love the Lord but don't listen to him. Right? That's absurd. It's ridiculous. So, what, so okay, w- w- give us the basics. What's the main thing then? What's the, what's the, if I do this, then I won't be ignoring my father and I'll actually be doing what he wants. It's the mission. It's the mission. It's running the race set before you. There is a piece of this work for every one of us. It's why we have a spiritual gift. It's why we've been given the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's why we have the New Testament in our hands so that we would know God. And eye hasn't seen nor he heard nor, nor has entered into the heart of man. All that God has prepared for those who love him. That He's talking about the word from the apostles, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we have all these assets? It's because we have work to do. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Sometimes we memorize just a verse of Scripture without reference to the context. <clears throat> 
The context would be your first blank to fill in. That's a little blank. I'm working on my blank sizes. You might need a fine, a fine uh, tip pen until I figure, out, figure this out a little better. We memorize just a verse without reference to the context in which we find that verse. Ever done that? I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your... Jesus, that's God the Father, God, Yahweh, talking to Israel and Jeremiah. Let's go there first. Let's understand who he's talking to first before we co-opt that and completely miss its context. not saying you can't apply that to yourself. I'm saying you need to know its context. All right. Today, I, uh, we should look at uh, two promises from Paul's letters that only apply when we are on mission. I believe these verses that you would bring to yourself and, and claim as promises from God, they only apply when we're on mission. That's my conviction, and, I would, uh, and, they're, and they're favorite verses. There's some cherished, sacred cow verses that people who aren't on mission like to claim, but they have no right to it because it's not really talking about them at all. And so promise number one, let's get right to it. We're in Philippians chapter 4 today. Philippians 4. The first one, my memory verse card said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Who has has claimed that promise in the crisis, in the moment when you are having real trouble and you need to bring something from God to bear on the situation? He said, I can do, you just grabbed that handhold and said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who, Who claims that promise? I do. I do. Philippians 4.13 is a wonderful summary for Christian faith and practice, but it's given in a mission context. In other words, you need to be a Christian to claim it. I mean, a functioning walk by the Spirit, I'm on my Father's mission kind of Christian. See, the idea of the Christian that doesn't pay attention to God seems to be a total absurdity to me. I know it's a struggle. Sometimes I'm an absurdity. Can you say that? Can you, can you say what I can say? At times. I'm not thinking about what he wants. I'm constantly being dragged back to focus on mission. And that's why he gave it to us this way. That's why Jesus set us up with what we call the Great Commission, because he wants us to be about his business. So the context, always go for the paragraph that the verse is in. Who wants to help me with uh, verse 10 of Philippians chapter 4? Can someone share verse 10? I saw that hand. Yes, sir. Okay, let me teach just a little bit. I'll do a little Vernon McGee. We'll read the verse, and then I'll say something about it. I'll read the verse, and I'll say something about it, but I won't use a Texas Scottish accent. All right, so what's happening here is he's giving his closing remarks as the thank you for the, for the money he received in support from the Macedonian Christians of Philippi. Paul uh, has written this whole letter as a response to a delegation that was sent to give him ministry support. So he can continue the work and actually go full-time in the work and not work on the side because of the gift from the Philippians of Macedonia. And that's what he's saying, that you've revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked an opportunity. You weren't able to do, but now you have done. And so he's just putting it sort of on the timeline. Let me read verse 11. Not that I, Paul, speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. See, you've got to read the context to know what he's talking about, about what he can and can't do. 
I have learned the secret of being content in whatever circumstances I am. Uh, he didn't say secret yet. That's coming in verse uh, 12. Somebody read verse 12. And where's that hand mic? Mike, let's, where's, the, where's the mic? Is it up here? I got it. So here we go. Oh, the pastor's loose. <laughs> Had a piece of wood to stand behind. Now he's, now he's loose. Out of control. Who's, who's going to read verse uh, 12? Mark, thank you. Give us some King James. You got, you got the King no, James? No, I... oh, New on. American Standard, Dave. Look, if, if you read from the King James in this church, you have to give me some sort of Cockney English accent. Some sort of, not Cockney necessarily, but some Elizabethan Shakespearean. Just come on, dress it up. Okay. I didn't mean to disappoint. But okay, okay. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. So Paul says there's a secret. Anybody ever heard of The Secret? It's a popular daytime book people buy. It's mysticism. It's, a, it's modern day pagan sort of spiritism, witchcraft stuff. It's, it's the idea, the law of attraction. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Secret, the law of attraction? Oh, I'm glad I can introduce it for some of you, and, and others are like, okay, he's about to say something really um, unkind about the secret. Look, the, the thing is, God is God, and we're not. So when I want something, that doesn't change the stars to realign so that I get what I want. That's going on in some Christian circles. You can see it on TV today. If you want it, and you name it bad enough, and you say the words powerfully enough to Jesus, and you believe enough, then you can force his hand to do something for you, unlike the Bible says. And it's the health and wealth gospel. And, um, and uh, all those that do such things, I say, let's go really name it and claim it in the, ch- in the, in the juvenile uh, cancer ward at the hospital. Okay, let's really have our faith and, and to go do that. But you can't because you don't control God. God is God and we're not. And so the secret is this idea that forget about God. And remember, you're a little God. You're God. And um, this is pagan uh, pantheism. And what you do is you really want something, and if you want it bad enough, you get it. Because you think good thoughts, and you become attractive to the good things, and that's the law of attraction. There's a lot, a lot of deep wanting and a lot of, of positive thinking. And, um, hey, Christians are supposed to be the supreme optimists. We actually have a real and infinite reason to be optimistic because we have an infinite creator and father who loves us more than we can imagine and has provided us all things we need for life and godliness. I mean, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you forever. There, there's no comparison in these pretenders, in these counterfeits, to what God is actually doing as he's revealed through his word. And, um, and so <clears throat> the secret here has nothing to do with mysticism, just to borrow that word, but I did want to emphasize the word, the secret of being filled and going hungry. So Paul, see what happened was, Paul was trying to minister the gospel in a new mission field. He, he was telling people about Jesus that never heard of Jesus. He was telling people about Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had heard about the Hebrews, and yeah, it's this thing, but they weren't believers in the God of Israel. And he's introducing that to the, for the first time in this mission work. That's not our job. We don't have to introduce Jesus to a culture that doesn't know him, at least not here where we live. It's post-Christian. I mean, the little kids don't know who Jesus is anymore. For the most part, there's yeah, yeah, something about Jesus. Is it related to Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny somehow? I'm not sure. 
when the, people, when the church people go to church, there's something going on with this Jesus person, whoever she is. It's kind of how the culture is in, you know, in the, the upcoming the kids of today. But Paul's going to a place that's never even heard of God. In fact, one of the stories we have is he, he shares the gospel in a Roman context, and the people think that he's proclaiming new deities when he says Christ and the resurrection. Who's this Christ God and who's the resurrection God? Because they're trying to fit it into their culture. And so Paul's on this mission, and uh, sometimes he's hungry. And sometimes... He's well-fed. And the point of his humble means and doing with plenty and doing with not plenty is he's working for someone whose job it is to supply him. That's the whole point of I can do all things as we get to it. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And the secret is verse 13, our memory verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Present tense for strengthened is used in Greek to indicate a general ongoing work. He always does. It's a nomic present. He's always doing this. Now, Paul is a missionary. The context in which he's saying I can go without or I can go with is in a context of work for the Lord Jesus. And I can't find a promise in the New Testament that isn't in that context. Everybody's writing, all the letters in the New Testament, all the Gospels, they're written to make disciples. And the context for the suffering and how you overcome the suffering is doing the word. James chapter 1, just for one example, some of our favorite talk, some of our favorite work in the Bible on suffering is James chapter 1, and where he says, I believe in verse 3, that we count it all joy when we encounter various trials. He's talking to the early Christians, the Jewish believers, who are in this diaspora, have been spread out throughout the Roman Empire, um, around, uh, scattering away from Jerusalem where there's persecution. And he's telling these, um, these believers that they're encountering trial and suffering. But you can't get very far before he says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Do what you're commanded. Be about your father's business. See, that's called, the way I'm talking about it, being on mission. Do what the word says. And then he tells you what pure and undefiled religion is. It's care for widows and orphans and keeping yourself unstained from the world. You see, and so... So even James, in a very general sense, is, is addressing mission. It's not the focus of his attention. Sometimes you're hurting so badly that you're like, hey, I, I, I can't talk about making disciples right now. I've got to deal with my crisis, my disaster, my catastrophe. That's right. My prayer for you, though, is that your life isn't a constant disaster where you're constantly distracted from the mission by the trials of this life. We're all, gonna, we're all advancing under fire. We're all struggling to one degree or, or another. Don't compare your suffering to another. Well, I, I'm not hurting that bad and, and I'm not falling apart. Look at what she's doing. Don't do that. God is your father. He's got you in this training regimen where he's got you perfectly calibrated. He knows exactly what you need to grow. And he's, he's training you through your suffering perfectly. And so uh, we are going to suffer, but I think you need to keep the mission in focus because we're always wondering, what do we do? I don't think Americans are suffering very much as a general rule, but we think we are. 
we think if we hurt a little bit that this is unbearable. The nurse says, where's your pain at a zero to a 10? We're all like, well, I tripped and I did a 10 because my, I, I missed an appointment. I had to cancel my tennis lesson. You know, we, we call it first world problems. We're spoiled and silly and rich. All of us, comparatively speaking, who can turn on water in their house and get water? Who's afraid that water is going to poison you? I know, Preston. I know. Okay, you're better off than a huge swath of the, of the whole planet just by that. Who has to carry water to bathe yourself? Nobody. I'm just for one example based on the technology we have. Who has to die of sweltering heat for the two weeks in the summer when it's really, really hot? Nobody. Well, I, my air conditioner is broken, but you can find some place that it isn't, right? See what I mean? We, we are so well off, and so, but we are suffering. God has us calibrated, and uh, somebody that can do 50 push-ups isn't challenged by our, our challenge. God gives us to do three, and we're really suffering. And, but the point is, um, we need to figure out the, the mission, even from the prosperity that we're in. Now, I've tried to, to show you from this first promise that the, the challenge Paul is giving when he says, by example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's saying this in a context of the secret. I know how to increase or be increased, and I know how to be decreased. I know how to go along with humble means and be poor. I know how to go along with, with uh, su- sufficient means and be rich. And the secret is Christ strengthens me to deal with whatever my circumstance is. And so... I think when you learn the context, this promise has real power for you to apply it. You know in what context you need to apply it. Do I, as a pastor, need to depend on the Lord for my support and the protection and care of my family? I absolutely do. Do I have to think this thought? Yeah, I mean, this is a daily thing that we have to work through and think through. And and so um, you are no less a minister of the gospel than I am than Paul is. Let's apply this. First of all, this is not, firstly, strictly speaking, a promise, but a declarative statement. Your two words there are a declarative statement by Paul about what is absolutely the case. We're on, we're on observations. Let me show you. We are. Declarative statement. Under number one, some observations. <clears throat> my notes are a lot longer than yours, so I feel like I'm a lot farther along than you do. Secondly, Paul states this truth not as a boast in his spirituality. He's not bragging about what a spiritual man he is. But to provide the Philippian Christians with an example for how to think about the Christian life. He's helping us think, I can think this way too. I can say whatever means I find myself in, I'll trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll strengthen me to deal with whatever the circumstances. And sometimes you're put through a hardship because he wants you to trust him. Third, this is a universal statement. I can do all things. It's a universal, that's U-N-I-V-E-R-S-A-L, a universal statement. It echoes John chapter 15, verse 5. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. So it does apply to you. I'm just saying you need to be on mission to enjoy it. 
Fourth, what's the context for the statement? The secret for having abundance or poverty in the material details of life. It's the secret of having abundance or poverty in the material details of life. That's number four. Right here. Number four. Having, the secret for having abundance or poverty in the material details of life. Can someone tell me briefly, what do I mean by material details of life? Food, clothing, okay. the essentials, the things you need to live. Why do you need material details? Why do you even need food? I mean, aren't we spiritual Christians? Don't we have the Holy Spirit? Why do we need food? And other staples. Huh? Mm-hmm. You're stuck in your body. And partly you are your body. Uh, God breathed the Shema into Adam's nostrils and he became, it, he became a living being. Um, it's right to say you, you know, about yourself. Um, this is the body that will be resurrected. You'll be recognizable. Thank God you get to be you forever in your resurrection body. And that's, that's, your, that's your inevitable destiny if you know Jesus is your Savior. Now, number four was the secret for having abundance or poverty in the material details of life. Fifth, what are the things, the things, I'm sorry, the all things that he's talking about? He's talking about living well with whatever God provides. The word is provides. That's, that's, what he's, that's the whole point of the discussion. I'm going to take a math test. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's go, let's go back to the context and say, ultimately, I need the necessary education to be able to do the work that God wants me to do because my life is his and I want to be on his mission with my life. So this math test is part of that, right? And so I'm going to trust him through the math test, but that's how you apply it. You go back to the mission and your training uh, in your, ed- oh, put your education under the hand of God for his purposes. Who would, who would ever think to do that? Anybody that's on mission. Shouldn't we wait till we're 30? No, we should do it now. Little kids, you're, bore, you're bought with a price, so you serve your master. All right. Um, number six, Paul is on mission discussing mission provisions. That's the whole, like he's talking about God resupplying him for the mission. Mission provisions. And number seven, my challenging question of observation Does it make sense to try to apply this idea of mission provision when we're not on mission? I I think that's an absurdity. What, what, Pastor, what is on mission? What do you mean on mission? On mission, on mission, on mission. There's a poster downstairs of some World War II guys. What is on mission? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, said to his disciples that he wanted us to do something. This age is about his program of making disciples. Go therefore and make disciples by baptizing them, of, of all the nations, by baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, by teaching them to keep all that I've commanded you, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the mission. That's the mission. Every single one of us is an enlisted soldier on this mission. Every single one of us. Well, wait, 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 wait. 
You're trying to say I'm an apostle. I'm not saying I'm an apostle. Nobody's an apostle. The apostles have done their work, and the apostle age is over. The time for the apostles' work is complete, and we have the New Testament. So now what are we doing? We are fulfilling our portion of this mission of making disciples. And you check it against all the New Testament writings. If this is not what we're supposed to do, tell people about Jesus Christ. They become believers, so you baptize them to outwardly proclaim by way of mission that they're believers in Christ. That's what baptism is. It's an outward ritual proclaiming an inward truth that I believe in Jesus as my Savior, just like the communion table. And then everything else that we do is teaching not just what he said, but to do what he said. And that's what I'm doing right now. I am doing that right this minute. I am teaching you believers to do what Jesus said. But wait a second. I am not a teacher. I'm not going to just sit down and have a Bible study. I can't teach someone a Bible class. Some of you are thinking, I, pro- I might could, maybe I could. But most of you are probably thinking, I'm not going to be that teacher. I can't imagine getting up there and doing what he does, what they do. That's probably because it's not your gift. It's not your calling. You don't have to be the, the driver of the race car to be part of the team, NASCAR people. In fact, the driver is probably, he's an important link in the chain, but he's probably not the most important if you know mechanics and maintenance and strategy and, and so forth. If you know racing, I don't really know racing, but I know a little bit about it from talking to, to you, actually, talking to some of you about racing. So you've got a job. You have a spiritual gift, and that gift equips you to love one another in a special way, and you're part of the mission. So you're not going to necessarily be the one that holds the net to bring the fish into the boat, but you might be the one that made sure the boat was ready to go on the water, right? You might be the one that's maintaining the motor. You might be the person that, uh, that pilots the boat so that the person with the net catches the fish. I mean, there's a whole enterprise here. It's a whole lot of work. And it's absurd to think that one person is going to do it. But Paul says, in my individual case, with my giftedness and my mission, my portion of the mission, I can do what God wants me to do because he keeps strengthening me to do it. So we should be on mission. I think this is a very helpful way to think about it. Let's apply it. Five points of application. First, see to it that it is indeed Christ who is strengthening you. Number one. I'm saying be actually a spiritual believer filled by the Spirit with the Word of God so that you're actually walking by the Spirit and therefore Christ is the one who's strengthening you. So number one, it is indeed Christ who is strengthening you. And I say number two, because you are walking with Him according to His instructions. Because you are walking, number two, because you are walking with Him according to His instructions. Number two. walking teach them to read and write and this is why historically you do that you teach the kids to read so they can read the word teach them geometry so they can think not so they can do geometry third all the strength you need to accomplish what god wants for you is available through christ that's what verse 13 is saying All the strength that you need to accomplish what God wants you to do is available through Christ. Maybe you're working hard at doing something he doesn't want you to do. Maybe you're Jonah running to the ships headed to Tarshish, headed down to Joppa, and you're getting tired and you're weary from your travel and you trip and and, and hurt your foot 
on your way, running away from God's plan that he stated for you. And you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can get down there to the ships at Joppa to head off to Tarshish and disobey God. That's a misapplication of verse 13. It's silly. hope you see that silliness of Jonah claiming God's promise of strength when he's working against God's purposes and mission in a specifically mission context. This is number four, spiritual strength for the mission regardless of humble or prosperous circumstances. That's what he, the, the word that we had in our English translation there. The circumstances are irrelevant to the strength that God provides. This is spiritual strength for the mission, regardless of humble or prosperous circumstances. And so fifth, what's the fifth one? Somebody read it to me. Bottom line, or yeah, the bottom line. We need to be on mission to use Philippians 4.13. Have I made my case? Who wants Christ to keep on pouring strength into you? I do. Who wants God, the Son, to look at you at the judgment seat of Christ and say, well done, you were on mission, you did what I wanted. Everybody in this room wants that to happen. We want Jesus Christ to be pleased with us. That's our ambition and goal in 2 Corinthians 5.9. Well, this is it. Figure out what your cut is of the work, of the mission. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, just to use an illustration, there are folks in our church that are doing work that hasn't been done in this church that I know of ever. We are finding opportunities to be on mission in ways that we haven't before. Just for a couple of examples. Can I use you for a second, Alan? Alan is a very uh, adept uh, administrator, among other things, I'm sure. But he's really good at organization of, of work. And he has helped us in the leadership in this church. We invite everyone, but the leadership especially, to organize projects to, uh, to maximize our effectiveness and actually get things done sequentially in order and time that we want to get done. And we're in the process of doing that, and it takes constant energy to work a system. It takes constant energy to build anything. And we've been building. And uh, what, where's, I saw Adam upstairs. Is he up there? Oh, there they are, hiding upstairs, like Franz Joseph Haydn. Anyway, uh, <laughs> classical music joke. Okay, so um, Adam heads up a committee for communications. We've invited the whole church, so you're welcome to join if you want. Um, and uh, they're rolling now. I mean, the meetings are kind of done. Uh, the regular meetings are done. They meet monthly now. But, uh, but we have all kinds of communication projects that we do. I owe them a, a newsletter article. For the next iteration of the newsletter, we've never done a newsletter that I know of. And the thing is, I love the idea. I've got all kinds of great ideas. Guess what I can actually accomplish on my own? Very little. I can get you a note sheet almost on time for 9 o'clock. Right? And I can generate content. But to project it, to get it out there. Uh, Joel, you got, uh, you got Joel. Does everyone know who Joel is? Joel Deverick? Some of you don't. And you're like, I, I don't want to raise my hand. But I don't know any, any idea who Joel Deverick is. Joel's up there. Uh, engineering the live video recording and stream. We record it, we archive it, we stream it at the same time, and we also parse the audio off and put that out there. Who knows what a podcast is? I had a 70-something-year-old tell me yesterday on the phone, hey, I heard the podcasts are up. I'm really excited about that. I'm going to need that. I'm like, wow, Don Harris knows about podcasts. Do you know about podcasts? It's the easiest thing in the world to click on your phone. In my case, you have to type in the six-digit code, 
because I have children. And, and I go to the boop podcast app, and there it is. Anybody and everybody that's out there preaching, I can, and now you can pull up Preston City Bible Church. This message might be podcasted. So I, I can't do that. I don't have time for that. I, I need to do this. But other people are doing the work that are on mission. I come to church today. What did I see? I got here early enough to print because I got the printer here. What, what did I see? I saw two believers in Jesus Christ downstairs making communion preparations. Before or after the coffee was, was, was percolating. So you start with the coffee because that's the time thing, right? So Mike, make sure we have coffee. And, uh, and hold your applause to the end. But uh, we, Mike, make sure we have some good coffee down there. And that, take, that silver bullet takes all the first hour to get going. And then there's a whole system involved, right? They're in there with the little, um, with the little juice squirter. It's a little bottle that's got a straw and a, and a pointy end that squirts the juice into the communion. Did you ever wonder how we get juice in the communion cups and it's not all over everywhere? I tell you how we do that. I'm not involved. <laughs> you know? And, the, and they, th- it needs to be done. They do it. The bread's all ready. The, the cups are all ready. The communion service is all packaged up and they're going to move the table in a minute and, and get ready to serve the Lord's table. You see, and, and this is giftedness, this is opportunity, this is service that needs to be done. And to do the work to make disciples and obey Jesus Christ in communion, we've got to do this kind of work. And, um, and so what a privilege, what a joy it is to find ourselves on mission and say, you know, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I'm emotionally spent, I can't get up and teach another message. I can't, I've been teaching all night, I can't teach again. Nope. I can do all things through him who strengthens me and only through him who strengthens me. Well, we've gotten um, uh, about halfway through. Well, we, can, we can get through uh, part of the, the next chunk. Let's, uh, let's close it down on Philippians 4.19. It's the same page in your Bible, probably. Philippians 4.19. Oh, this is a good one. This is a promise. Somebody want to read Philippians 4.19? Wait, I have to pass the conch, the conch. 419, I was on 419. There is no Philippians 4. Oh, wait, wait, here we go. Here we go. Trick question. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Let's see if you can apply what we've learned. Let's see if we've learned something. Maybe the tactile note-taking, maybe the reading, maybe the hearing has helped. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is really the one teaching today. But let's think about what he says there. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Number one, he's talking to the Philippians in response to their gift that they just sent him. Can somebody tell me how this relates to the mission? Is this obvious to anyone about how this relates to the mission? It's not going to happen without logistics. It's logistical grace that supplies all the needs. It's not going to happen without logistics. It's logistical grace that supplies all the needs. So the Philippians have logistically supported the what? The mission mission by giving money to support Paul. And so the response that Paul says as an oracle of revelation from God is, my God will supply all of your needs. You have supplied my needs for the mission, and my God will backfill you. You see, he'll supply. The context isn't just, well, God provides everything we need. 
I can find that in the Bible, but this promise is about giving. You have supplied the need, and God is going to backfill you to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And um, what are your needs? Who knows what all of their needs are? Nobody except God. That's why there are therapists. That's why we have friends that we have to talk to. We don't even know what our needs are half the time. I mean, when you're hungry, you know it. You have appetites that God has given you that have a righteous way of being fulfilled. Sexual appetites, hunger, the physical appetites of, the, of life. These have a, always have a way that God wants us to glorify him in satisfying our legitimate appetites. Okay? And there are ways you can always sin against God in the fulfillment of these appetites. And that's how that works as a human. We want significance. We want importance. We, want, we, we, we listen to the, to the lie and want fame, and it's, it's a lie. Because the most important person in the universe already is paying attention to you. He already cares about you. You've got one follower that ever matters if you're watching social media. The kids are so worried about how many clicks they get. They're so worried about uh, how many people are following them on Twitter or whatever the platforms are. I've forgotten. I don't even know any of this stuff anymore. They're all worried about being, being paid attention to and someone cares about me. Well, friends, you already have that and that need for significance, for importance, is already met in God. But what I'm saying is um, this statement about needs doesn't just cover your monetary needs. It's where it starts. But it's all your needs. He'll supply all your needs. How, how does he have the riches in, in Christ Jesus? And it glorifies him to do it. And so our context is verses 15 through 10. I'll read it very briefly. You yourselves also know Philippians. At the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit, which increases to your account. Verse uh, 17, by the way, is a test. Do you believe what Paul says? Do you take him at face value or do you suspect, suspect him of ulterior motives? Verse 17 is a test because most people, if they said that to you, you would say, really? I don't, I don't want the gift itself. I mean, I did spend it. I did use it. And I did stop working on the side and spend full time on the gospel but I seek the profit which increases to your account, but I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus, apparently one of their pastors, what you've sent, a fragrant aroma and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing well to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So the reason he says my God will supply your needs isn't to be just taken out of its context and say God's going to provide. It's to say you did something uh, in the mission and God is going to backfill you for further mission support. This is a promise. Number one, this is a promise. It is set within a specific historical context. It is from God to the Philippians through Paul. My God will supply all your needs means the Philippians. So your best chance of applying this to yourself is pattern matching. How do you act like a Philippian so you can be in the same target for God supplying your needs. See what I mean? It's a pattern match. It's always going to be a pattern match with the Bible. Therefore, it sets up a pattern for us. Is this promise directly addressed to us, though? No. Fourth, <clears throat> what are the components of the pattern in context? 
What are the components of that pattern? Just look at the verse. They gave, they gave in mission giving and supported the advance of the gospel ministry and making disciples in Jesus' mission. And so God is going to backfill them and supply them. How will you and I fit into this pattern? We're going to give to the gospel ministry and expect God to backfill us as we support that effort. And we, we step out in faith and trust him with our finances and say, God, this is going to hurt unless you do something about it. We give sacrificially. Paul tells the Thessalonians they gave sacrificially. I'm sorry, the Philippians, they gave sacrificially. And I'm not telling you to give, give, give to me until it hurts. That's not the point. It's that it's always a matter of faith when we bring money into the discussion. You always have to trust in God because there's never enough. There's never enough. I will close on a story. A little Texas uh, (laughs) accent. A story. Nobody says story down in Texas. That's Mississippi. I'll close on a story. We uh, had a challenging financial year at Preston City Bible Church. It's one of those trust in the Lord with all your heart kind of years. Like every other year I've been here. It'll be 12 years this June. Okay? We had a financial challenge. We, we commit to a budget. The whole church looks at it. You have two weeks to look at it. And then we vote on it and say yes to the budget. We've got the, the reports this, today, right? Everybody get, get a report. Look at the budget. Look at what we're saying we're going to do. And then you vote and basically get a yes or no on we trust the, the leadership, the deacons who have put this together. And we will agree to support this mission, to support this budget. Okay? And it, there's a, there's, it's a sacrificial giving for mission work to the missionaries that we support. And um, it supports me and my family and, uh, and, and everything. And so last year, um, 2018, uh, right around in the springtime, March, April, we said, <gasps> the Lord wants us to do far less than we had planned. <laughs> and we started making cuts. We started dropping uh, ballast off the hot air balloon to keep the thing afloat. We, we changed our budget plan because we weren't uh, uh, tracking to be able to meet it. I mean, to a great, I mean, $50,000, like a third of what we'd done for the budget, or, or almost a third was, was, I mean, it was really bad. Is that fair? It, it was the trend. And uh, we, did, did anybody remember us coming to you and saying, give, everybody, you've got to, we didn't do any of that. We didn't do any of that. We just got in our meeting. We said, okay, we're going to trust the Lord with this, and we're going to reduce what we plan to do. We, apparently, we're not going to have as big a party as we thought, right? And we're going to trim where we can trim. Always, the, the deacons always say, don't cut the pastor's support. The Roselands, thank you for that. We are uh, well supplied. The children have all their teeth and so forth. And uh, the, 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 our medical care comes from our, my, my support I receive here. I spend that money for that at times. And um, it's, I'm fully supported by this church. And, um, and so you're very Philippians for, toward me in that way. And here at the end of the year, we were thinking that it was something close to $10,000 that we were going to have to spend of our savings to just finish the year, take care of the pastor, the essential things, keep the lights on, keep the insurance paid, all that stuff. And it turned out that we were closer because of several things that happened. We ended up the year closer to $10,000 more than we had thought, than we had planned than we had estimated yeah and and it was just we were so in the last two weeks mike and i and the deacons have been watching god meet our needs and just show up and provide 
And we haven't done a big, has anybody seen a thermometer? This is where we got to get to, you know, for the giving. We do in the, does the bulletin publish what the, no, just the deacons, deacons meeting. We talked about what the weekly is, what, what the weekly offering is. Some churches count how many people. We don't do that. I don't know how many people are here right now. I'm going to guess something between 20 and 40 for first hour, something like that. I, I don't really count. My name is David. I'm scared of counting the people. Some of you are Bible readers. You got that Bible joke. But um, I don't think I need to know how many people God brought today. I think I need to know who needs to be here and couldn't be. And I need to talk to you about that and, and pray with you if you need care and, and those kinds of things. But this is God's business, the, the, the group, that, the flock that he provides. And, and I do trust him with that. So <clears throat> um, what I'm saying is uh, we can praise him. We can end this year and say you've supplied all our needs. We gave sacrificially as a body to our missions, and we didn't reduce our mission giving. We, we said we're going to spend it out of savings. We'll just, we'll just, we said we'd do it, we're going to do it. We're going to trust the Lord with it. It's his money anyway. We have a really good financial position. We have savings on hand, so we'll spend it that way. And trust the Lord, and guess what? We got more in savings now. It happens. It, you just have to trust him. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. This is the way to think about Christian giving. If you're not there yet, if you're not there about money and it's not part of your like, uh, do not feel any pressure from us about giving here at all. None at all. I'm like the cowboy church in that sense. They're very proud in a Christian sense of they don't have any offering played or they don't ever ask anyone for money. They just put a barrel in the back and you can, or a boot or whatever. You just throw, <laughs> throw what you want in there. Uh, this is the Lord's enterprise. It's the Lord's mission, and it's really his money. Let's close. Father, thank you for uh, clarity about how to apply your promises. <clears throat> we uh, had the word work through us, though we didn't get through all the notes. But we thank you for the privilege to trust you, to receive the strength that Jesus Christ provides to be on mission, to receive the support the backfill when we're givers, the, um, the ability to manage when we're, um, when we're doing the ministry work of, as our vocation, like Paul, and be able to just trust you with humble means or prosperity, abundance. Father, thank you for the pr- perspective you give us that our citizenship is in heaven. Your son is now preparing a place for us in the residences, the mansions of, of, of your residence, and that uh, that's really our identity. We belong to you. And these material concerns really have to take a second place. And we see these, uh, the, the details of life as means to the end of accomplishing your mission. Help us think this way in 2019. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.